Carl Specking, yeah, we're going to miss you, Bromley family. It's going to leave a big hole here. Well, um, this is my last time preaching for several weeks. Actually, I'm not scheduled to preach again until the beginning of September. Oh, going to give you all a rest after 18 months of lots of me. You can have a bit of a break. Uh, it's just a, partly by design, partly by accident. That's just how it's working out that I'm not down to speak for the next few weeks. And uh, going to give me some more time to focus on some other things, going to travel a little bit more, do some more planning for next year, and uh, just be able to lead in other areas more than I can when I'm uh, spending a lot of every week preparing to teach. But this morning we are finishing the little three-week series we've been in called Staying the Course. And this is a series which has been about enduring in times of difficulty. And uh, this is a theme which is always relevant, always relevant, because life always involves difficulty, and that's true for everybody, even the people who seem to have the most blessed or lucky lives. Think of somebody, again, Richard Branson, always a good figure to pull out, such a somebody who seems to have everything going for him. A couple of years ago, his island got washed away in a hurricane. So difficulty comes to everybody at some point. And there are always times when... It's particularly relevant to think about how we stay the course in t- because life does feel particularly challenging. And, um, and that's been my experience over the last couple of months particularly, and I know that for many of us in recent months that has been the case. And so these three weeks we've been thinking about how we, we stay the course, particularly as those of us who are Christians, what it means to be Christians who have the truth in Christ, what it means to be Christians living in the world with all its challenges and difficulties, And today we're thinking about what it means to be a Christian in light of eternity, the Christian and eternity. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 again, where we've been for all three weeks. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 says, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. The Apostle Paul is writing to his friends in Corinth, and he's quoting from Psalm 116. And Psalm 116 is a psalm which is all about seeking the Lord's help in times of difficulty and distress. And Paul says, in times like that, in times like the psalmist is going through, we have the same spirit of faith as the psalmist did. And like the psalmist, we need to speak out what it is that we Belief, Because like the psalmist, we have faith in the Lord's power to deliver us. We have faith that in him we're going to be able to stay the course. And then what happens next in this letter is that that confidence in the Lord, the faith that we have, the words, the faith that we speak out, it's rooted, says the Apostle Paul, in our hope of resurrection life. So let's read the whole passage together. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God." Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal." 
First thing, we know, verse 14, we know that Christ was raised from the dead. This is, of course, absolutely essential to our Christian faith. It was the center of the very first message ever preached after, uh, on the day of Pentecost when the uh, disciples are filled with the power of God, went out into the streets of Jerusalem. Peter stands up, he preaches, and he says this, God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Absolutely central to the Christian faith. Peter is making there an appeal for faith in the resurrection. It's that faith which defines Christianity. Jesus died, Jesus lives again. And so declaring Christ must always include a declaration, include the message of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, Christianity is just a kind of another moral philosophy, just another pattern of living. But with the resurrection, everything is dramatically different. And so we see throughout the New Testament scriptures the centrality of the resurrection to the apostolic message. Beginning of Acts, Peter stands up and says, this is what we're calling you to, faith in the resurrected Christ. Uh, Towards the end of the book of Acts, the apostle Paul is on trial before the Roman governor Festus. And uh, this is what Paul says then in Acts 26, God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. It's true and reasonable. Faith in the resurrection might sound crazy to some. It sounded crazy to the Roman governor Festus, but Scripture says, no, it's reasonable. Believing in the resurrection is reasonable. The best explanation for the empty grave of Jesus is the resurrection, The tomb was empty on Easter Sunday, and then there were hundreds of people who claimed to have seen the resurrected Christ, and this was not something that was expected. It wasn't part of the kind of culture, theology, social expectations. Nobody in that society was expecting a man to be raised from the dead. It wasn't part of their expectations. It wasn't didn't happen. People don't get raised from the dead, but the grave was empty, and hundreds of people claimed to have seen the risen Christ, and The person they claimed to have seen was not what might be imagined, somebody rising from the dead. It wasn't a zombie corpse figure, and neither was it some kind of dazzling heavenly figure. No, the Jesus who appeared to the disciples after the resurrection was very human, someone who could be touched and hugged, and who ate fish, and could walk through walls. Resurrected Christ. The theologian N.T. Wright says this, No other explanations have been offered in 2,000 years of sneering skepticism that can satisfactorily account for how the tomb came to be empty, how the disciples came to see Jesus, and how their lives and worldviews were transformed. There's no other fact that accounts for the empty grave as satisfactorily as the reality of the resurrection of Christ. And so the resurrection of Christ makes sense. It makes sense historically. It makes sense sense 
factually and we can have confidence in the historical reliability of the resurrection as much as we can in any other historical event which, at which we were not present. We can believe because the evidence all points that way. So it's basic to our Christian faith, but so essential to our Christian faith. I recommended Tim Keller's new book, Hope in Times of Fear, last week. I'd recommend that again. And if you want to kind of read more about why we can trust in the reliability of the resurrection, that book is, is helpful. We know that Christ was raised from the dead. Second thing, we know that we shall be raised from the dead. The absolute certainty of Christ's resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. And again, this is absolutely central and essential to the Christian faith. The resurrection of Christ has a direct impact upon you and me, what it means for me, what it means for you, what it means for us, that we can say we know that we shall be raised with him. It's, uh, it's, it's central to Christianity, but actually this, this belief in eternity is, is hoped for or assumed by most people. There's barely, if any, cultures in world history where there hasn't been some sense of eternal life. That's just an assumption, a given in almost every human society and culture the world has ever known. It's actually, although death is completely natural and death comes to us all, there's also a sense in which every human culture has had a sense that death is unnatural. And it's, it's normally been a case that less that immortality has to be proved and more a case that death has to be explained. Why do we die when human beings throughout human history in every culture, every corner of the globe, have all had a shared belief and understanding and expectation that there is more life to come? It's actually death that is the problem, not eternity. Every culture assumes that there's some kind of eternal life. Of course, there's always been skeptics about what that looks like, even in the church in Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, he writes to them and says, If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So clearly, even in the church at Corinth, even amongst Christians, there was some skepticism about resurrection. And that skepticism can take kind of two forms. There are those who we might call spiritists, who would have a, an understanding of <clears throat> some sense of immortality and eternity, but it's a kind of immortality which is vague and disembodied and, and just spiritual, that after the body dies, the spirit is kind of released and then floats around somehow, somewhere. The kind of a spiritist point of view. And then, on the other hand, there are materialists, which is more where we would be at our point in human history and culture, that this is all that there is. And that when the body dies, there really is nothing beyond that. Now, Christianity is very different from either of those perspectives. Christianity says resurrection, life in Christ and like Christ. And what we have in Christ is so much bigger and grander and more exciting than what either spiritism or materialism have to offer. Spiritism actually is deeply unattractive. Just being a disembodied spirit floating around somewhere, who knows where, for how no, who knows how long. That, that is not an attractive vision of the future. And the materialist vision is not attractive either because if this life is, is all there is, well, in the end, what is the point? And I'll say some more about that in a second. The vision we have 
for the human race in Christ, of death defeated and real resurrection life. That is large and grand and exciting and wonderful that we are going to be raised with Christ and presented to him. And this isn't this isn't an incidental belief to our Christian faith. We started our service by reading from 1 Thessalonians 4, where there's a whole passage about the resurrection, and it says at the end of that passage, encourage one another with these words. We're meant to encourage each other with the hope we have in the reality of resurrection. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead, and we know that in Christ we shall be raised as well. This the New Testament scriptures make it clear this is an expectation that, which is meant to shape all the way that we live now. Everything about our lives now is meant to be shaped by our hope in resurrection. Christ has been raised from the dead. We shall be raised from the dead. And that begins, that conversion, actually the whole process of resurrection life begins the moment you put your faith in Christ. In his book, Hope in Times of Fear, Tim Keller says, we figuratively die when we repent and give up control of our lives and commit ourselves unconditionally to him. But these deaths have led to resurrection, spiritual now, bodily, and cosmically later. You put your faith in Jesus and spiritual rebirth and resurrection begins to be at work in you. And our hope is that bodily will be raised from the dead. There is going to be a physical resurrection for us. That's represented in our baptisms. In baptism, you Go into the water, you die, and then you are raised to new life as you come out of the water. If there is no resurrection, there is absolutely no point getting baptized. Baptism is all about resurrection. That's where it points. That's where it leads to. We know that we shall be raised from the dead. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead. We know that we shall be raised from the dead too. And that means, and this is the main point, we do not lose heart. Look at what is written here again, verse 16. Therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We called this series Stay in the Course, but we could have just as well have called it Don't Lose Heart. That's what the uh, instruction of Scripture here is to us. It comes at the beginning of the passage, chapter 4, verse 1. We do not lose heart. Stay the course, do not lose heart. The reality is that life throws disheartening things at us, pressures and perplexities and persecutions, but we don't lose heart. Why not? Because of the hope of resurrection life. Having confidence in the certainty of resurrection changes our outlook on everything. This resurrection life is already at work in us. So it says we're outwardly wasting away, but inwardly being renewed. The reality is that life passes very fast. Yesterday, Grace and I were um, <clears throat> with our friends Howard and Naomi Kellett and Peter and Nicky Cornford uh, teaching on the, on the church planting course we, that we run. And uh, we've been friends with those two other couples for uh, the best part of 30 years. And we kind of might feel that we feel the same as we did 30 years ago. But the reality is, looking at one another, we're not the same as we were 30 years ago. 
There's, there's been some aging process that's gone on. None of us are wearing glasses 30 years ago. We didn't have the wrinkles we have now. Naomi hadn't had cancer. There's all, we just, we, we were, we were 20, in our 20s, we, we looked and felt different from now how we do in our 50s. That's just the reality of life. So outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we are being renewed. The reality is that life passes very fast, but the reality is that we have this hope of resurrection life in Christ Jesus. And we need that kind of shift in perspective, what is described here, that the shift in perspective which looks at life through the lens of the hope and the certainty of resurrection. And, and so Paul talks here, this remarkable phrase, our light and momentary troubles, our light and momentary troubles. This is the same man who, a few pages later, chapter 11 of this epistle, describes his light and momentary troubles, which I read last week. What were his light and momentary troubles? They were being stoned and being flogged and being shipwrecked and being in danger from his countrymen and foreigners and bandits and even the rivers. That was his reality of light and momentary troubles. And it's not that those things are then trivialized. And there's no way that you can read the Bible and think that the Lord trivializes our light and momentary troubles. No, you can see the deep compassion of God for us in our troubles and how we are meant to care for each other in our troubles. And our troubles are real. And if you go through trouble, it's real. But the point is that it is seen in a different perspective when we're looking through the lenses of eternity. When we put it even in the time scales with which we can kind of grapple, so much of what seems important to us now just begins to seem less important. Well, the things that I stress about and worry about, will they matter in 500 years' time? Even some of the big stuff we're going through, will it matter in 500 years' time? Will COVID matter in five years, 500 years' time? No. Will it matter in 50 years' time? Probably not. So much of what I worry and stress about won't matter in five years' time. To be honest, a lot of what I worry about won't matter in five minutes' time. <laughs> Need a different perspective. Need a different view. And so what is described here is light and momentary troubles, which are real and can feel very intense to us, compared to weighty and eternal glory. And it's... Getting that perspective right, which dramatically changes things for us, that's why we don't lose heart, because we're not focusing so much on the light and the momentary, but we're thinking about the weighty and eternal. That's why we don't lose heart. And we're not very good at that, naturally. Naturally, we're very good at prioritizing the seen over the unseen and the temporary over the eternal, because the seen stuff is just attention-grabbing. Even preparing this message on Friday morning, I was so aware of how easily I am distracted by what is temporary and, and, and seen rather than what is unseen and eternal. Uh, message comes in on the phone, distracted by that. Somebody knocks on the door to deliver a parcel, distracted by that. It was raining on Friday. I spent quite a lot of time just standing, staring out the window, looking at the rain. I was meant to be preparing a message about eternity. And all I'm thinking about is, oh, it's raining a lot. <clears throat> we're distracted by what we see, what is temporary. Of course we are, that's natural. But we need to kind of discipline ourselves to fix our eyes 
as the apostle says, on what is eternal, on what is lasting, on what is weighty and glorious. We need to have a real sense of how good the promise of resurrection, of eternal glory actually is. And I think often we can be completely unexcited about the prospect of resurrection life. And really, that is absolutely crazy to be unexcited about what the Lord is going to do in us in eternity. So let's think about what resurrection life means. The first thing is that resurrection means life has purpose now. Resurrection means life has purpose now. Without the hope of, of resurrection, life now really is futile. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, would you bother to do your homework today? Of course not. You just wouldn't. You wouldn't bother to do it because if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, why would you bother to do your homework today? And actually, individual, our individual human life is that scenario just stretched over perhaps eight or nine decades, which is a blink of the eye in terms of the history of time, never mind the history of potential of eternity. And, and so why would we bother to do, in the end, why bother to do anything? Why, why invest in anything? Why work at anything if there really is nothing beyond the fleeting span of our lives? And even in terms of human civilization as a whole, even that is just a, a flicker in the span of geological time, the billions of years that the universe has been expanding and growing and human civilization been around just for a few thousand. I mean, what is the point if there really is nothing more than this? What is the point of doing anything? What's the point of, you might ask this anyway, what's the point of building HS2 if this is all there is? Why bother? But what, I mean, if that's the case, and in the end, nihilism is the only real rational response, just live for today, make the most of today, and sink into despair, because there is nothing. But resurrection, the promise of resurrection changes everything. It means that what, actually what we do now somehow does have significance, not only for now, but for eternity. And because it has significance for eternity, that means it has significance now. This is what the letter says a few verses down, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, So we make it our goal to please him, to please the Lord, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There's going to be a, a reckoning. Our works, what we've done, will somehow be weighed in, in the Lord's scales. That means that what we do now has significance. It has significance. It's, it's hope in the resurrection that makes our actions now meaningful. And whether that's as a 16-year-old doing their homework or you honoring your marriage vows or serving a meal to a friend, all those things are invested with meaning because of our hope in resurrection life. We're going to take communion at the end of our service together this morning. The reason that is meaningful is because of our hope in the resurrection. Why do we take the bread and the wine? Because of our hope in resurrection life. That's what gives it meaning now, because of what is going to happen eternally. So resurrection means meaning in life now. Resurrection means that God has not given up on the world. It's easy for us to, to get into despair about the state of the world, but resurrection the promise of resurrection teaches us to be hopeful. 
And this isn't a question of optimism triumphing over pessimism, of the glass half full people winning over the half glass empty people. No, it's about a certain hope that, as it says in verse 4 of chapter 5, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. It's so important that we see the resurrection as real, tangible, not just spiritual. There's going to be this transformation, but it's not going to leave us disembodied floating spirits bored for thousands of years somehow in the universe. No, there's going to be, we're going to be raised to life as Christ was raised to life. Again, this is what the theologian N.T. Wright says about this. This message of resurrection is that the world matters that the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won. If Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it is only about me and finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world, news which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming our hearts. Our faith isn't just about warming our hearts. Our faith is about the world being transformed. It's about injustice being swept away and the sick being healed and hatred being replaced by love. And we're looking for the day, the resurrection day, when, as it describes in Revelation 21, heaven is joined to earth, when our earthly and heavenly dwelling come together. We're not looking to escape the earth. We're anticipating it being made new, a new earth in which injustice and hatred and sickness are eternally banished. And we, raised with Christ, live with Christ. And the scriptures give us tantalizing glimpses of what that will mean, particularly in prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 60 and 65 and 66 and book of Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22, we get pictures of what resurrection life looks like, of the nations of the world coming together and living in peace together and the Lord being our everlasting light and this being an experience of security and justice and fruitfulness. That There's a real sense that we will come home and enter into shalom, to peace, to wholeness, to completeness, to fullness, and we're to live in the light of this now which means that the mission of the church is to demonstrate resurrection life now, that we care about justice and we care about healing and we care about love because that is what resurrection life means. And we're to enact it and live that out and demonstrate that now in the world in which we live because God hasn't given up on the world. He's going to make it new. And then resurrection means that we can stay the course and not lose heart. Resurrection is the greatest reversal of all, that in the end, death is not the end. And that gives us hope in all the other circumstances of life. And it means that we Christians, we, we live life in a different direction from the way that the world does. Tim Keller again says this, Christians see that in Jesus, the way up is down. The way to true power is to give up power in order to serve. The way to true riches is to be radically generous with all you have. And the way to lasting happiness is to not seek your own happiness so much as the happiness of others. This was how he saved the world and changed your life. And now it becomes our way of seeing and living. Yes, 
In Christ, everything has been turned upside down. Everything is put in reverse what is normally expected. And the final and ultimate experience of that will be resurrection life in Christ. And this means that we can, st- we can stay the course now. What, it is, what is it to be a Christian? It's to have, by God's grace, received the truth that we've looked into the face of Christ and found light and knowledge and glory. And it means that we live in this world, yes, which often throws at us pressures and perplexities and persecutions, but we do not lose heart. Why not? Because we know that Christ has been raised from the dead and we know that we shall live in Christ as well. And so these light and momentary troubles are far outweighed by the weighty glory that is ours in Christ, this hope and promise that we have of life forever in him. We Christians, we've entered eternity. We're beginning to taste it now. And for all time, we shall enjoy the presence of Jesus in a world made whole and perfect and new. Let's get excited about that, brothers and sisters. Let's thank Jesus for what he has done for us. Resurrection is real. Let's take the bread and the wine and praise him for the certainty of what we have you're feeling burdened by the light and momentary troubles of this world, take the bread and the wine, lay hold of Christ, and know the reality of resurrection power at work in us again. Lord, we thank you that death could not hold you. We know that you were raised. There's no better, no other explanation which makes sense for the empty tomb than the resurrection of Christ. And so we know that as you are raised, we will be raised as well. And I pray that we, Lord, in our troubled, fleeting lives, would know the reality of that inward renewal which is already happening in us. Resurrection life already being at work in us and being displayed through your people, the church. So let us demonstrate that in our town, in our generation, oh God, in a a world which often does feel uh, uh, hopeless and nihilistic. May we show what life really is about, living in hope and expectation of eternal life in Christ Jesus. We thank you for these things, our Savior. Amen.